This is Howard Anderson, news editor at Information Security Media Group, and today we're talking with Adam Green, partner at the law firm Davis Wright Tremaine, and a former official at the HHS Office for Civil Rights. Thanks for joining us today, Adam. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Federal regulators recently released proposed rules for Stage 2 of the Hitech Act Electronic Health Record Incentive Program. Based on the proposed rules, privacy, and security provisions, what are the most important steps healthcare organizations should start taking to prepare to comply? And what questions should they be posing to their EHR vendors? I know that's a big question, so take your time. Certainly. It is a big issue. I think there's um, meaningful use is going to bring a lot of new and challenging privacy and security issues to the forefront for organizations. So I think the three biggest issues are going to include providing patients with real-time access to their medical information, uh, participating in health information exchange, and doing secure messaging with patients. I think for the real-time access to parts of the medical record, providers should start thinking about issues such as how will the provider manage authentication of patients? Does that need to be in person or is there going to be some sort of remote authentication available? How will the provider manage access by, quote, authorized representatives, including challenging situations like minors and reproductive services that parents may or may not have access to that information under state law? When the default is to provide patients with access to certain records without any affirmative decision by the provider, will the provider still deny access to certain information where permitted under HIPAA? So is this real-time access going to really eliminate the whole basis for denying patients access in certain situations? Or do providers have to be a lot more proactive with identifying which records could potentially cause harm to patients or others and flagging those ahead of time so that if the patient seeks real-time access, um, there will be a denial still in place. And then also, what are the new threats and vulnerabilities that are introduced that will need to be addressed in the risk analysis and risk management plan? This is a really large new access to essentially the electronic health record, and so that's going to bring with it a lot of different threats and vulnerabilities that will need to be addressed in the risk analysis. Health information exchange is a whole other set of issues. Um, Ready or not, meaningful use is now pushing people to actively participate in health information exchange. So taking a look at, is the disclosure permitted under HIPAA without an authorization? It's important to remember that meaningful use does not replace the need for a HIPAA authorization where that may be required. What are the potential threats and vulnerabilities? Once again, this is another area where you'll be opening up your systems like never before, and that's going to introduce a wide variety of reasonably anticipated threats and vulnerabilities. Is the information going to be encrypted in transit? Does minimum necessary apply? And if so, does it create any challenges? So for example, a healthcare provider can rely on a requester, who's another covered entity, as only requesting the minimum necessary amount of information where reliance is reasonable. And it's a really big question as to, are there going to be circumstances in health information exchange where you have to start looking at whether a particular request is reasonable? Now, Meaningful Use Stage 2 is really much more focused on directed health information exchange, sending something affirmatively from the Meaningful Use provider to a third party. But it's important to start thinking about that next level of health information exchange. And then finally, secure messaging. What information needs to be sent via secure messaging? There is guidance from 
Office for Civil Rights that indicates that not all emails, for example, necessarily need to be encrypted. Appointment reminders, for example, need not be encrypted. And so it's important to keep that in mind when looking at instituting secure messaging. If under HIPAA previously you were able to do certain things via unencrypted messages based on having done a thorough and accurate risk analysis, there's not necessarily a need to change that with respect to meaningful use. And it's important to keep that in mind because secure messaging is a great platform, but it's not always the most user-friendly platform for the actual patients. So a few things to talk about with EHR vendors now, rather than waiting and complaining once they actually put out the product, is what tools will be provided with respect to managing the portal, especially with respect to authorized representatives. Can they have a separate username and password than the actual patient? Can their access be tied to age? So for example, if a parent has access to the record, can that be tied somehow to the fact that once the minor becomes 18 or some other age, could that be flagged and potentially cut off? Can they have more limited access to the record? So could they have view-only access, for example, rather than full um, access as the patient may have? Will the software do a good job of logging access to the portal? Uh, will health information exchanges, will all exchanges be encrypted? How will you be able to authenticate that you're sending it to the right person um, and not sending it to the wrong party? All these are things to start talking with your EHR vendors about now and make sure it's on the top of their list. What about this uh, provision in the um, certification rule that says this EHR software should be set up so that as a default mechanism, if data is stored on a mobile device, it should be encrypted? Uh, does that raise issues and questions that need to be posed to vendors? Well, it does represent an interesting challenge with respect to the interplay between the EHR software and the rest of the device. I would say one of the challenges there is making sure you understand from your side of things um, that just because your EHR software may be encrypted on the device doesn't mean your device is encrypted and doesn't mean that there's not information going elsewhere. Um, but you should also start talking about the, to the vendors about um, what this is going to mean from a hardware standpoint. Is this going to have particular performance issues um, with respect to the devices? Because encryption is not a light application and so, you know, and encryption of the device is not something that can be done remotely. It's something that's going to utilize the device's um, resources. And so you never want to be in the situation where you've adopted the new Meaningful Use Stage 2 EHR certified software, but all your laptops are now failing. Let me turn to one other uh, question then. Um, the uh, HHS Office for Civil Rights recently announced a resolution agreement with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee tied to a breach that affected about a million people, and the settlement called for a $1.5 million payment plus an extensive corrective action plan. Uh, what lessons can be learned from this action by OCR and the details of the corrective action plan? Well, I think the first lesson, which hopefully is not too surprising is that large breaches have consequences. Uh, we've seen a multitude of consequences. We've seen reputational damage. We've seen the fact that you could be on the so-called wall of shame indefinitely. Um, but we're also seeing that if you lose the record of a million individuals, um, or possibly significantly less, you should be prepared for a thorough OCR investigation and the possibility of a settlement or fine. It's worth noting that if you download the full information from the breach 
the breach website where they have information about what breaches have occurred. They have case summaries up there, and those case summaries usually equate to closed cases. And you'll notice there's not too many closed cases with respect to the particularly large breaches. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I think it's indicative that those, their OCR is taking those large breaches very seriously. Is there anything from that particular incident that offers food for thought on preventive steps people should be taking? Certainly. Um, data should be a top priority, not a last consideration. So when moving facilities, it appears that they essentially moved everything out of the facility except for the records of over a million patients, and that seemed to be kind of a lower priority with respect to their, their movement out of the facility. And so one lesson learned is don't leave the data behind. The data should be one of your top priorities. Another lesson is physical safeguards are important, but they are not a substitute for other safeguards necessarily. Um, so the resolution agreement indicated that there was biometric locks, magnetic locks. You know, what many people may be scratching their heads saying, what more physical safeguards could you have? Well, physical safeguards are great for protecting hardware, but when it comes to protecting the data itself, there's no substitute necessarily for encryption of the data um, as a backup because for every physical safeguard, there's going to be someone who has keys to that lock, and there's also going to be opportunity potentially to get around almost any physical safeguards. You'd be amazed sometimes what a crowbar can do. Do you think we'll see uh, a number of other similar resolution agreements for major breaches uh, self-reported under the breach notification rule in the next year or so? Yes, um, I, I think we will. Whether it'll necessarily be in the next year is hard to say. On average, it's taken about two years between the start of an investigation and a settlement agreement. So. Uh, a lot of people, I think, were of the opinion that they weren't going after breaches, but it was simply a matter of time, frankly, that um, September 2009 was the start of those large breaches being reported, and now a little, it's more than two years past, and we've seen the first settlement. So there may be a pipeline out there of large breaches that may lead to settlement, and we may see some of those over the next year, and we may continue to see those steadily in years to come. Thanks very much for your time, Adam. My pleasure. Thank you, Howard.